Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond Rent. I'm Joe Easton from Rent Manager, and I'll be your host. This podcast is focused on having conversations with experts so we can all learn more about the property management industry. Joining me today is Grace from Fine Digs. We discuss the application and screening process, as well as fair housing regulations. I know this is a topic that has a huge impact on how you operate. So let's get to the conversation and go Beyond Rent. Finding the right resident is a key component of property management, and the application and screening is foundational to that process. Regardless of your end goal, fair housing regulations are always front of mind. To help us better understand how to balance finding the perfect resident with fair housing, Grace of Findix joins the podcast today to give her insight on this topic. Grace, welcome to Beyond Rent. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for hosting and having me today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Obviously, we've talked a number of times over the past year or so about this topic, right? Fair housing and screening. And I know it's something that you live every single day over there at Fine Dig. So I'm excited to dig in and learn more myself as well as our audience. Uh, but before we get into the topic, I want to make sure our audience knows who you are and kind of some of your background as well. So can you introduce yourself and let us know uh, what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. So I oversee Findigs' sales and customer success teams. So I joined the company about a year ago from another tech startup. This is my very first role in the property management space, but my background is all about you know, joining early stage companies with incredible products and, you know, fantastic product market fit and figuring out the best way to scale not only the teams internally, but the product out to our current and future customers. So I've had just an absolute blast learning. It it really is drinking from the fire hose. I've learned so much about the property management space. Um, I owe a debt of gratitude to the rent manager team and you know so many others, uh, customers and people at conferences for you know just really helping me with that almost vertical learning curve. Um, and I think it's honestly been a huge benefit that coming into my role at Findigs, I was new to the industry because you can kind of look at things with fresh eyes and. It really allows you to think of things from an objective perspective, which is a key component of evaluating, you know, what, what's fair and what's right. And how are we supposed to judge these people who are applying to live in our homes and, you know, the whole business. So it's uh, been really an amazing year and we have a fantastic team that's growing like crazy. Um, we were just chatting about some of the growth, Joe, but it's really been spectacular and we've got a great group on the team and I, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's always exciting to hear uh, about growth, right? And like you said, this is kind of like now your specialty starting early stage startups and trying to figure out what that growth looks like. But I imagine there's a lot of challenges that come not only from being part of a startup and kind of trying to manage that growth, because sometimes it's growing so quick that that's actually a, a pain point is the growth itself. But on top of that, learning a whole new industry, really, it can be challenging. Um, 
it's a nuanced industry. Like property management really does touch a lot of different other industries out there. But there is a lot to know, and you really have to learn pretty quickly. I know for myself, I've been around uh, specifically property management for about four years. So uh, we both are kind of in that same situation. Like early on, compared to a lot of the other people in the industry, it's common to talk to people that are 10, 15, 20 years in this industry that have such a wealth of knowledge. They understand where we've been, where we're at, where we're going. And and it's just exciting to be part of teams that are helping kind of, uh, I guess, blaze the path forward for where our future is headed. Yeah, I feel really lucky. We, um, you know, got some really fantastic early on customers and though they're absolutely those folks who have been in the industry for a really long time. And I think that they saw something within findings is really early stage product that was just innovative and, you know, they, they believed in us. And I think one of the key elements of my job and every current and future customer that we have. Um, I try to be as transparent as possible of like, look, we might not have everything you need at this moment, but what we will absolutely commit to doing is working together. We want to hear your opinion on where our product is really successful for your team. And we'll go double down in that area to make sure that your team is getting further and further benefit out of the things that are already working. And then we'll ask, what's a pain point? What's a gap? Where can we improve? And I can't even tell you how often, you know, I spend, it feels like the majority of my week on product feedback sessions with our customers because nobody knows this better than the day-to-day folks who are actually using the product. And oftentimes that is pretty empowering for the most, even the most junior leasing agent on the team that's actually going through these applications and typically uh, might not have as much say in what they're using and how they're working. And so it's been really fun to communicate with our customers at all levels of their organization and really dig in deeper on how we can be better partners. Yeah, it sounds like you have an exciting uh, time in history right now over there at Find Digs, being part of that process, kind of seeing what's happening. And again, having kind of your ear to the ground of the industry, you know, what's going on, what's being impactful and how your team can uh, adopt and change and and continue to focus on providing uh, your customers what they need. And I think that's a big part of what we're talking about today, right, is this idea of kind of the education side of things. So maybe to kick things off, I'd love it if you can maybe share with us a working definition of fair housing that we'll use as like a baseline for today's conversation because I'm aware of it, I understand it, but I don't know because I'm not touching it every single day. I don't know if if somebody walked up to me and said, hey, can you truly define or tell me what fair housing means? If I'd have a great answer for them, I'd probably say, hey, you probably need to talk to an expert uh, about that issue. So Is there a working definition that we can use uh, for today's conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I'll I'll disclaim by saying that, you know, a lot of what fair housing law is, is very much influenced by a lot of the case law that happens and that changes on a constant basis. But the actual definition itself is pretty all-encompassing. The Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing based on race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, or familial status. And the goal of fair housing is to eliminate discrimination and promote economic opportunity. So again, that feels a little bit vague, but that is technically the working definition based on the Department of Justice's 
you know, view of what fair housing is. And, you know, what I'm fascinated by really is how best practices can be implemented to make sure that you're adhering to that very broad definition in your day-to-day practices. Yeah, absolutely. And, and having processes and procedures and policies in place that uh, do not discriminate. I think most people would agree that's, that's good. Uh, that's, that's right. Like we should be doing things. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, the end goal for the property manager is to find that quote unquote perfect resident, right? And not that they're trying to discriminate, but they're also trying to find the right person. Uh, so there's that unique balance there. Um, and so I think the best practices are definitely, you know, key that, uh, item that comes up to mind for me as far as like what people should be talking about or focusing on. Uh, but I also wonder how much of that definition is up for interpretation um, and who gets to make those interpretations as well. You kind of mentioned case law uh, is, is an element that we have to consider as well. But uh, when you think about it, how, how much a wiggle room is really in that definition by itself? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, to directly answer your question, um, there's quite a bit of wiggle room. And as with all laws and regulations, they evolve as regulators' agendas evolve, as case law establishes precedent. Really, the advice that FindX gives to our clients is, you know, not to incite any type of fear or, you know, you don't want to be, um, you know, not moving as quickly as you'd want through your processes because of, you know, potentially sidestepping that would put you in a position to be in violation of fair housing. We don't want to, you know, create this environment of constant concern. But the advice that we give is really just, you know, create your processes and develop your leasing playbook and, you know, all of the logic that goes into, you know, every property management company has sort of a different matrix and how they prioritize criteria on an applicant. And so we just want to make sure that Everyone is prepared for additional regulatory scrutiny and has their processes really well documented and really consistent. And I think that that would really be my best piece of advice. Um, You know, no need to be constantly worried if you just are establishing a consistent process across every single applicant that you screen. Yeah, I think consistency is always something that operators are looking for anyways, right? That's really why they create a process or that's why people automate things or whatever it may look like. That's really what they're after anyways, right? Is that consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and they yeah. want to be able to trust that that consistency is going to, you know, hold up if there is any regulation in place or any potential lawsuit. Um, do you find that consistency is enough? Uh, or is there a little more that we have to do to really understand what is fair when it comes to fair housing? Yeah. So, um, you know, the very first thing that regulators are going to do or, you know, should someone ever find themselves under investigation for a potential violation um, is they will review your process first. Is it the same? Can you prove that you have done the exact same thing for every application that you've received? And to take that a step further, um, you know, I think it is maybe not enough. It's an amazing first step, but really I would say that the way to take that further is to just automate as much of your process as you possibly can. A human element, um, you know, while very helpful for edge cases and, you know, the experience of some of these leasing agents that we work with directly, you know, people have been doing this for 10 years, 15 years, and, you know, they have a ton of contacts, but really the human element brings that 
subjectivity and bias, whether it's, you know, a conscious bias or an unconscious bias. Um, and, you know, being able to automate something just completely eliminates any, uh, any wiggle room there. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I do wonder in a world where, you know, speed is always kind of one of the end goals as well, right? How quickly can we process things? Um, and can we leverage technology? Obviously, technology isn't always perfect either. So if you're following, you know, the same process and you're automating things, if something happens that is discriminatory through an automated process, how does that look as far as like the regulations go? Are there some challenges there where the the property manager would still be liable uh, despite consistency and despite automation? Um, or or is there maybe safeguards that, you know, PM should put in place to make sure that they're uh, not 100% reliant on automation as well? Uh, well like, where's that balance? Because I do agree when you get a human involved, there can be, again, they can be very subjective to the matter where a computer t- typically isn't. Yeah, um, it's an interesting thought. And, you know, while Findix aims to automate as much of the leasing process as possible with our ability to get instant identity verification, instant employment and income verification, and, uh, you know, instant prior rental payment history verification, what we really prioritize is the level of just support and our customer success managers really operate as consultants almost, you know, once the initial onboarding process is through um, and, you know, you're starting to see applicants roll in any way that we can advise on best practices for keeping the process consistent and any way that we can further enhance the process beyond just the initial automation is our goal. Whether that means, you know, developing out a new product, if potentially the property management company is seeing something that uh, deviates from what we've seen from other customers before, then that's a good opportunity to build a use case to go create something that's going to be beneficial for you know, either that property manager specifically, or maybe they serve a different type of applicant than, you know, our typical customer. Um, The reality is, you know, it's their infinite pass that anyone can take when completing information about their income in particular. Um, Not every single applicant you're going to get is going to be a standard, straightforward W-2 salaried employee with only one source of income. And they link their payroll directly and we know instantly what, you know, their net pay looks like. Not, there's going to be edge cases, right? People have jobs that have overtime and bonuses. Uh, Sometimes people are paid in cash. How do we keep a record of that? How do we evaluate that the same way that you're evaluating someone who just links their payroll or their bank account and you can see the net direct deposits immediately? And so the way that we think about that is, you know, as long as the overarching process from the property manager side is consistent, regardless of the path that the applicant takes when submitting income information, that's really the best practice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know there's a lot of talk about income verification because of all the different ways that people get paid. And especially with like gig economy and things like that, there's, again, a lot more nuances now than there used to be. Um, But I also hear there's a lot of fraud when it comes to providing paper or copies of uh, pay stubs, right? Uh, It's pretty easy, I think, to go out there and get fraudulent documentation at this point. So creating those automations, creating those tools, using technology to, to kind of work around that really, really is powerful. Um, and I do, I guess a follow up question to kind of like documenting processes, 
How far are you seeing property managers going to document their their standard processes? Are they uh, writing that out, documenting it, putting it in a place where this is kind of our standard operating procedure when it comes to the application and screening process, that that 90% of the applicants go through the same uh, steps with maybe, again, a few edge cases out there? Is that typically what you're seeing? You know, it completely depends on the property management company. Sometimes when we're onboarding a new customer, they come to us and they say, all right, here are all of our instructions. We send it to our leasing team. They follow these with strict adherence. And sometimes we're onboarding someone and, you know, we're, we say, hey, look, I heard from the sales representative you worked with that you're looking for advice on tightening up your process and actually building something out that's more formalized than you've had before. And let's work together on that. So it really kind of depends on just the structure of the organization. Typically what we see from just hyper growth property management companies that are consistently looking to acquire additional units, additional business, maybe absorb other companies locally, um, or maybe not even locally, and then they have to go train a whole new team in a whole new state, and they have completely different, you know, ways that you can review a criminal report because there's regulations in that specific state about what you're able to accept or deny an applicant based off of. So, you know, they are sort of the category of property management company that really works hard to keep their processes airtight. And as they scale, they want to make sure that any net new leasing agent that they hire is going to be just doing that process from day one in the way that makes the most sense. But again, really having a partner in kind of chatting about this and consulting with, um, you know, we work directly with TransUnion. And so we spend a lot of time with our account manager over at TransUnion talking about, you know, what's fair, what's not fair, what can we uh, present in terms of the criminal eviction history? Um, you know, how can we update our product to make sure that we are uh, concealing information that maybe shouldn't be exposed? Because, you know, a good example would be in Washington, D.C., um, you know, we're very, very careful with how we handle the criminal information and it's actually kind of safeguarded. And so in the event that someone would need to actually have that information on file, it's available, but we have two kind of blockers where they have to consent to knowing that they're accessing the information before they can do it. So let's just say that one of our property managers in the DC, the area, and that's just one example. There's so many cities across the country with specific regulations that we adhere to. But if somebody is in DC, then if anyone were to investigate their process, they would see that there are all these safeguards around it and could pretty quickly assess that they're in compliance with the local restrictions. Yeah, the local and maybe state level restrictions are something I have a lot of interest in because. I think that really complicates things. Like you said, if you're operating out of one area, one county, whatever it looks like, uh, it's relatively simple as far as you just need to understand the regulations in that place. But as you spread out, grow, and operate in multiple locations, you have to manage different expectations in different places. Uh, And I guess I'm wondering a little bit, and maybe (laughs) looking into the crystal ball, if you want to share your insight, 
Do you see any changes in the future that will make that, I guess, more simple? Do you see like federal regulation starting to override some of these local ones so there's more, I guess, agreement across the states on what's required? Or do you think it's going to actually get worse and every area is going to have their own, again, nuanced regulations that they feel like best advocate for the consumers in their area? Wow, that is a great question. Um, To be honest, I don't know if I can, I have enough information to make a judgment call on at the federal level. But what I do know is at the state level, we're in really close communication with our property managers about what laws could potentially be coming. Um, Again, not to create any type of fear or concern around protecting your business or you know, potentially falling out of compliance unknowingly. But in Georgia specifically, we work very closely with a lot of, um, you know, Atlanta or the greater Atlanta area based property managers. And that is really an area of the country that's completely taking off in terms of just rental property development. And we've seen a huge boom there. And they all really feel like a lot of the regulations um, that maybe haven't been enforced in the past or if they if they were available um, in public or there was some case law precedent are going to be more likely to be enforced moving forward. Um, and then also just based on trends that they've seen across the industry and what's happened to other states that have gone through sort of this big housing boom is that they are preparing for additional regulatory scrutiny, perhaps more than they have, you know, experienced in the past. And so a lot of them actually, uh, you know, not to plug findings too hard, but, you know, a lot of them actually are coming inbound because they want to make sure that they have their processes airtight and automated and, you know, not subjective as possible because they see other property management companies in the area just kind of gearing up for that too. Yeah, it makes sense. And and obviously uh, predicting what government on any level is going to do in the future is uh, an impossible <laughs> question to answer. But I think it's a, you know something it's we should a, all... It's a, fun, uh, it's a fun philosophical and uh, you know critical thinking exercise. Yes, it is, right? Like, I love the question. Let's try to predict what our government might do next. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and like you said, I mean, you even said that earlier, you know, as far as the people that are creating regulations, you know, uh, the ideology of those people, it does shift right over time. So it's really hard to predict what might come around. But I think it's something we all have to think about, especially, um, you know, as we get involved with different associations. I know uh, we were talking about the NARPUM Association recently, uh, the National Apartment Association. As we participate in those organizations, we should be talking about what the landscape looks like and maybe how we can impact it. Because if there were federal regulations, and I hate to think that it's maybe a better solution, but at least it would be consistent, right? Um, a lot of people would say, well, they don't want more regulation, but I think we'd all agree that consistent regulation might be uh, better than, uh, you know, having it varied ba- based on locality. Uh, but obviously, that's a, a difficult question. But I, I think that'll be interesting to see how things move forward. Because I, like you said, uh, Georgia was a great example. I do think that as different areas have different impacts, they will create regulations that they believe help their residents and or businesses, whatever they're trying to aim to do in that area. So, and every area is different, right? Not everywhere is growing uh, at the same pace of other cities and other states. So uh, the need definitely uh, varies across the board there. Um, well, yeah, we, even yeah. If, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll go. if you have more to add, go for it. 
Oh, I was just going to mention that what's really interesting is, you know, even if you're looking at these high growth regions, you really have to drill down into the demographics that we're seeing the growth from because we're working with a lot of Southern California based property management companies and they have a much higher population of international applicants who have no established credit history, have no US based criminal or eviction records. And it's a complete completely fascinating and alternate use case from other areas. And it's, uh, you know, really brings into, you know, question, what are we judging people based off of? You know, why should we discriminate someone who might not have any established U.S.-based credit history if they're a perfectly good applicant who, you know, we've verified their identity, we know they are who they say they are, and we've verified that they have enough income to meet the rental payment requirements. Um, and so that really kind of turns a lot of people's leasing logic on its head. If historically they've prioritized the credit score or any of these things that would never be relevant for someone who grew up internationally. It's it's just really interesting. But anyway, that was my final thought. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It is interesting. because I mean, even t- going back to the definition of fair housing, uh, it never says anywhere in that that you have to have a credit score or certain records available, right? It just says that you can't discriminate for these reasons. And if somebody moves here from another country and doesn't have those things, right, I, I think they 100% are protected under fair housing in that situation. Yeah, the the actual definition of discrimination is the treatment or consideration of or making a distinction in favor of or against a person or thing based on the group, class, or category to which that person is perceived to belong rather than on the individual merit. So it involves sort of the initial reaction or interaction going into the, you know, actual behavioral influences. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, these biases and, you know, intentional discrimination is, you know, an act based on, you know, violating a protected class. Um, but then there's other things where, you know, the policies and procedures, uh, you know, you might not even realize that you're having a disproportionately negative impact on that protected class. So, um, I mean, I think the whole concept of a credit score, I mean, don't get me on that soapbox, but <laughs> we... Uh, <laughs> we you know, it's it's really interesting, especially at Findings too. We've had a lot of employees who are not U.S. born citizens. Um, you know, maybe they've worked abroad for years. Uh, maybe they've only lived in the U.S. for a year or two, and it's it's been fascinating. We have a Slack channel where we share a lot of uh, you know kind of fun or unwork related um, topics, and something that's come up is just difficulty people have had applying for rental apartments if they are fully eligible to pay, but have spent the majority of their life in England or in Taiwan or in, uh, you know, Brazil. It's, it's crazy. Well, it's good that you have those people on your team so they can apply their experiences to your product and make things better for, for people. Yeah. That's the idea, honestly. I mean, incredibly talented people, but also just, we really care in the hiring process about having a diverse set of experiences and thought and, you know, types of people that are coming to join the team and bringing all those experiences to the table as we develop our product in the most fair way possible. I think that's a smart way to, to do it. Uh, so as we as we talk about kind of that that process that people have in place for the application screening, that whole portion of their business, um, I want to, I guess, maybe dive in a little bit deeper on some of those like best practices and or maybe uh, steps within that process that you think 
are most likely to maybe surface some discrimination, right? So if the process, if there's five, 10 steps, whatever it might look like, are there certain steps along the way that people need to think a little bit harder about fair housing and maybe some best practices around it? Yeah, absolutely. So really our above and beyond best practice is just comes deeply down into having a process checklist. Um, of course, as we discuss, the most difficult part is the income because there's so many different places and sources of income and types of income. Like you mentioned, gig economy workers, um, you know, it's a totally different income class that 20 years ago didn't even exist. And, you know, what Findix does is we provide so many different ways that you can verify income. Our smart rental application is actually structured in a way that presents the most likely path to income verification based on the income category. So an example would be if you are a W-2 salaried employee, um, it is highly likely that you have a payroll provider. We work with a third-party payroll verification service that essentially allows the applicant to plug directly into their ADP or their workday or their paychecks, and it instantly verifies up to two years back worth of net payroll transactions. And so that works great if you're a standard salaried employee and there's, you know, it's pretty black and white, but what happens if you own your own business? Well, the option that we would present would be more along the lines of, you know, hey, upload documents about your uh, tax returns, or we'd love to see some deeper detail on the nature of your business. And um, actually, this is, <laughs> by the time that this podcast is released, it'll probably be uh, rolled out. We're targeting um, about I guess, middle of the fall. Uh, but Findix has been developing over the last several months proprietary pay stub scanning technology. Um, that's a whole separate podcast worth of conversation. <laughs> um, but essentially, by by the end of this year, we'll have the ability to verify 100% of all income-related uh uploads. So, you know, really just at a high level, if anyone uploads a pay stub, we're able to assess down to the nitty-gritty granular level of do all the fonts match? Are all the spacing, you know, in the way that things are structured within the document aligned? Is there a different color gradient for the logo that could have been copied and pasted in? Um, you know, not to drop drop a bunch of tech terms, but you know, really the machine learning process at work is just ingesting more and more and more examples and more documents, and it gets just stronger from there. Um, and that's why you know, instead of going to market with it a couple months ago, we've been really waiting until we've had significant data points to really as assess all edge cases and make sure that we're verifying not only is the document legitimate, but is the information on the document accurate? And is it conclusive enough for a leasing agent to make an assessment on an applicant off of? So all of these things really equip people to be able to have that checklist because they're not going to be subjectively questioning, is this income statement accurate or not? Um, you know, that's really sort of the last and final uh, window that we're closing to remove this, any subjectivity that would go into that human element of income assessment. So really that's, you know, the income is, is the biggest by far and away, and we're taking on all the heavy lifting for that. And from there, um, you know, really, I would recommend people think about the paper trail that they're creating. At Findings, we create that paper trail for you. Um, there is a detailed activity log for reviewing every single application. So you can see that. 
Um, there's some basic things also that we recommend, like updating your website to include a fair housing logo. I know it sounds small, but really these actions remind everyone, um, you know, your applicants, residents, owners, that your office is committed to providing equal access to housing. So that's important. Um, and then, you know, the way that I kind of think about it to provide an extreme example is, you know, if you wanted to get so specific, like let's say, you know, most people will say, okay, anyone above a certain credit score threshold gets approved. But let's say you wanted to structure your business where it was so just absurdly specific. You said, okay, any applicant that tries to live in one of my properties has to have a 781 credit score. You know, if you have a 780 or a 782, we're going to deny you, but you got to have that right on the money specific credit score. You know, this is a made up example, but um, it's ridiculous. Like you would probably get, you know, 0.001% of your applicants who have exactly that credit score approved. It wouldn't be a very good business decision, but you would not be in violation of fair housing. Because regardless of race, regardless of gender, you're only approving the 781 credit scores and you've had that documented and you've said you're doing that. So again, you can make it as narrow or as broad as you want in terms of what you're willing to accept, but as long as it's consistent across the board um, and if it's changed in the future, that change is consistent for everyone. It's not like a phased rollout, then that's really, you know, kind of my recommendation for best practices. Now, a lot to take in there, but all of those points are so valid and so important as far as like understanding that income process, understanding uh, the documentation that needs to be created. And that last point I really think is important for everyone to understand. And those that work in leasing really probably understand this, especially right now with kind of the housing market the way it has been, is that you can, again, you can alter those expectations or those requirements as long as you're consistent. And I have heard that quite a bit that people actually have started making their requirements more narrow recently because of the high occupancy. They can be a little more strict about who they're looking for. Um, but again, it's about that consistency. It's about that documentation. It's about making sure that you are following uh, those requirements to a T every single time. Uh, so you're not treating anyone differently through the process. So I think that's, that's really sound advice um, that you've given us here. No one should feel stuck in their process also. You know, a huge element of what we're building out at FindEx is going to be about data insights. And so, you know, let's say you have something on your tenant qualifications that says we only accept people with a 550 credit score or higher. And then, you know, we look back and six months of approved applicant data shows that you have actually been approving people with you know, 590 credit scores and above across the board, then a recommendation would be, hey, maybe you want to update your tenant qualifications. And so you're cutting out, um, you know, people that you would not be accepting anyway, based on your historical acceptance, you know, demographics and the type of, uh, you know, credit score that people are bringing to the table. And so, you know, maybe update your leasing logic and you'll save some time or, you know, trying to think of a different example because um, I know it's a hard and fast line that a lot of property managers have, but I often think it's uh, there are better things to assess people off of than their credit score. But <laughs> just as an example, it's, uh, you know, we, we really have the powerful data that you're able to adjust your process and, you know, we have the quantitative information to make 
better qualitative decisions to structure your business and create more efficiencies and uh, a better experience. Yeah. Well, it sounds like if nothing else, if you don't have a process, you better create one. If you have one, it's time to go back and look at it and make sure it's meeting the needs of the business and following fair housing. I think that's uh, probably an easy uh, assessment to make uh, minimally. Um, so before we wrap up uh, today, Grace, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk to our audience a little bit more about Findix specifically, uh, maybe anything you want to make sure that they know about it, how they can get in contact with you, with your sales team um, and information like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just put simply, FindEx tech enables your rental screening process. Our goal is to provide the fastest, most consistent and fair approach to the way that you evaluate applicants. So we do this by offering instant identity, employment, income, and prior, prior rental payment history verification. Um, we also offer enterprise-grade credit criminal and eviction reports powered by TransUnion. And our smart application technology helps you streamline your process. And of course, not to uh, beat a dead horse here, but really the overarching goal is keep you in compliance with fair housing. So um, the way that rent manager and finance works is we essentially will act as a virtual leasing agent within rent manager. Um, so simply you can just activate the findings integration and your rent manager portal, or you can request further details via the rent manager portal. Um, and I'll get an email directly and you, uh, you know, we're more than happy to speak to any and every rent manager, customer, uh, rent manager user. And, um, so you can contact us that way, or my email is just grace at findigs.com, F I N D I G S, uh, as in find your digs, <laughs> find your house. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're more than happy to give a demo, consult on best practices. Um, even if changing your tenant screening process isn't in the cards for the short term, uh, we're always happy to get on the phone and um, start chatting as you prepare for 2023 and beyond. And we, uh, we love working with the rent manager team. It's a really seamless, easy integration and fantastic partnership. So... Excellent. Oh, Grace, I really appreciate your time and all of that additional information. Hopefully people do reach out and learn more. I think this is one of those topics, again, kind of regardless of what your process looks like or who you're using, uh, you can't possibly learn too much about how to keep your company safe from uh, fair housing and uh I guess, in infractions and also make sure that you are treating people fairly through your processes, right? I think that's the end goal. That's why fair housing is there. And I think we all know that's a good and valuable uh, thing to do for our society. So thanks for being uh, with us. I know I enjoyed the topic. I know our listeners will as well. And if you are listening and you enjoyed this conversation, then make sure you are subscribed using your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, go ahead and share it with others in the industry as well so they can continue to learn as well. And if you aren't familiar with Rent Manager quite yet, then visit rentmanager.com to learn more or reach out to me, Joe Easton, directly on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us today. And until next time, keep going beyond rent.